0: hey everybody this is Alec, and this is lunchbox radio now before we get started on the episode that and what we'll be talking about today i just wanted to remind you guys to go listen to the last episode in the movie may like four part months of episodes that you can go check out on the feed right below this it's all about Pocaroso. i highly um, I highly hope that you check it out because growth is a good movie. If you don't know anything about it, it's a good intro. Um, but I made it to be, I think, non-spoilerly enough. But who knows? Um, I don't, as you well know, I don't do this based on spoiler stuff. So just know that going into any of these, really, honestly. Um, but on a completely different note. Um, I have news, nothing really that pertains to you guys right now, but I have officially dove back into 3D printing, and if you've been listening to this um, podcast for a while, you know that I have done both kinds of 3D printing that, like, you can get your hands on. I have most, I have most successfully done, um, PBS printing, um, I think it's called PBS based printing, which is the like, which is the needle that traces shapes and like melts plastic and all that stuff. But I have most often done a style of printing called SLA printing, which uses a lot of chemicals and a lot of UV light to like make, to, to essentially make super high quality single piece prints. Um, at least that's how I use it. You can use it in a bunch of ways, but um, so I got I dove back into that, and um, I've been having a lot of fun with that. I still got some equipment on the way, but for the most part, I've got the machines. I've got the know-how. I already successfully printed one thing. It's off to the races. I think I finally made all the mistakes. Is what is what I'm also saying. Like I, um, I bought a bad printer from a bad printer company. I'm not going to put them on black here. Um, i also you know i've 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 made boo-boos i have made prints that have been like nightmare thing completely most of my prints come out fairly well executed at this point um, i glazed the printer if you don't know what glazed the printer means that means that the vat had a leak and i didn't catch it and the entire print surface glazed over and it it's currently a useless brick sitting in my like in my trash bay basically i have a i have a running trash bay because um i have some electronic trash like an old microphone an old busted dvd uh blu-ray player and now that printer that like need need to be driven down to the dump directly because they will not take them because they are major electronic devices Um, But with that said, I want to jump into what we're talking about this week. That's a little show known as That Time I Got Reincarnated at the Slime. Now, for those of you who don't know, the, the, like, isekai or, like, transported to another world genre has been a thing since, well, since forever, honestly. Like, there's all kinds of, like, attempts to be, like, who created isekai? Some people say it was um, Yoshiki Tomino with with, um, Dunbine. Um, Other people say it was other people, but the bottom line is that it got, like, it got to the point that it is now, and it, it discovered the form that it has, that it uses now in terms of storytelling and plot devices and basic structure after Sword Art Online. And the funny thing about Sword Art Online is that it wasn't a isekai. It feels like it. But it's technically a "quote-unquote" trapped in a game MMO. Like no one's bodies go to this, go to like Alfheim or go to Sword Art Online. All of their bodies are like not safe because they're hooked up to helmets that might microwave their brain, that will microwave their brains and kill, and actually kill them if they die in the game. They die in real life. That's the thing. Um, I don't think I'm blowing your mind here. But, like, the, the function is the same, and it was so popular and ran for so long, and I've talked about Sora Online on the podcast, you can go check it out, you can go check out, like, my thoughts on Gungale Online and all this other stuff, but the author kind of grew into himself and grew up writing that thing to the point of where like the Kirito fantasy, like power fantasy that exists in the first episode, episodes of that show is totally different. And there's lots of bad things about Sora Online, but this is one good thing that came from this writer making this show. By the time, You get to the end where we are in like the current Sora Online universe. He has totally sidelined. He has put Kirito in a coma because he wanted to focus, probably because he wanted to focus on the female cast of that show. And there are like statements from, I forget the um, creator of Sora Online's um, source material or light novels, but. There are statements from him that say, like, look, I haven't been the best about using, about A, using female characters, or B, treating the female characters I make with very much respect. And he kind of vowed to change that and vowed to stop using sexual assault as, like, a plot device just for, like, shock and awe. And you can see from where that show went and where that show ends up that he really even if he didn't totally ditch it, he really did attempt to and really did and it really did change. The back half of the second season of Sword on Online is of of the of Sword Online the Gundale Online thing. Like the back half of that is devoted to largely to Asana and a disabled girl hanging the fuck out with like and Asuna uses Kirito's like brain. He's like she's like, put her in this robot so we could hang out. <laughs> for a large portion of that for for a large portion of the bat of the back half of that show, actually. So that kind of gross curve is from what many people would rightfully, including me, kind of treat as the kind of progenitor of what isekai look like now and uh, for for mostly bad if we're honest and i'm gonna lean on and i'm gonna lean i'm not gonna lean on sword online here but i'm gonna lean on it like cooler older brother or cooler younger brother i think it's more accurate and that is um log horizon the reason I'm going to lean on Log Horizon is because I think Log Horizon is illustrative of. This is where, like, Slime slime Tensei fans are going to, like, either log on or off, depending. Um. I think there's a lot wrong with this show. I think there's a lot wrong with Slime Fan. And I. I couldn't get there until I started to think about it in the context of. What kind of these shows I like, and but I also I understand why people like it because I think it's doing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the part that I would try and save to the end, but probably say five times because I'm a dumbass. Um, but I'm gonna say it right here. Slime San is doing its best to hit all the check boxes of a kind of this show that works really well, that is really good. A good version of the of the kind of isekai show it is. But it's not doing the work to get the viewer there in time. And I, when I was watching this, I like shotgunned it from like episode one to the to the to the current episode that we are now it went from one to end of season two like all like over like a week or something over like a over largely this month the um the months of may and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do movie make was because I wanted to give myself like room to run and really watch something um and I did obviously I watched forty eight episodes of of that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Honestly. Uh, obviously. But the, the thing that I kept encountering was, am I just watching this too quickly or am I, or does it not matter that I'm not consuming it week to week? I, I saw a YouTube video. I wish I could remember this um, YouTuber's name because her videos are extremely long and can get very boring, but they're really insightful and thoughtful and interesting. And she published a video lately about the fact that you probably don't enjoy binge watching. And in the, be- in the beginning of that video, she talks about terrestrial TV and the way it's paced and the way it's made for a week-to-week viewer who may have seen the previous episodes, who may not have, who may just be dropping it in the middle, And, like, the way TV shows are designed for that purpose. And in the act of, like, if you're an anime fan, we are still doing this. We watch stuff week to week. We are watching Spy X Family week to week. We may miss a couple weeks and catch up, but we are watching things that are made to be put in front of us week to week. Once you get into Netflix, and Netflix is, like, surprised binge culture that's a little different, but for the large part, you know, you're watching something, especially something like *Slime Sand, you're watching it on like Thursdays every week. And the, the thing that I kind of came to the conclusion of is no, I'm not, like I'm not missing out on the pacing that would be week to week because let's take the character of Shizu. Who I think is in about four episodes before before she dies. Not including her actually pretty good um like prequel episodes. It's like an OVA that they made. Um She and shiju is a character in this show that's summoned to the world. And she's summoned to the world from the era of like I want to say World War Two, Japan, and she's summoned out of her home, out of her hometown as it's being firebombed. Like a tornado of fire just erupts around her and swallows her whole and brings her to um, this character named Leon something. I forget Leon's last name, but Leon is. One of the is one of the kind of like rulers of the world that um, that slime fan takes place in, and that world is governed by this thing called demon lords, and so here's the first thing: they call these characters demon lords, but they are they're largely not benevolent and evil. A couple of, couple of them are. But they're not like... They're not necessarily the bad guys or the good guys. They're just like super powerful things that you find out later have done something that is like unspeakable in order to get to the criteria to be considered a demon lord. And... But even that, not really. But the... And there's a bunch of them. It's not like there's one. There's like 15 or something. There's actually eight, technically. Um, But the whole thing of this world is Shizu is summoned from World War II Japan into this place and she is... This tragic figure, because since she was a child, she's, like, been around for decades. Like, close, close to a hundred years, at least. She has been kind of cursed with this spirit of fire that she carries around. And they give this all to you over the kind of four episodes she's in. But then they immediately dispose of her. And they like, you don't... You don't get very much of this character... And that was you. You don't get enough of this character in a way that attaches you to her in a way, in a way that you think you're gonna ha- she's gonna be around for a while. And the thing that that's the thing that really tipped me off to what this show is trying to do because up until this point, it had a pretty in, it has a pretty interesting premise, has a pretty in, interesting mechanic, and that's the mechanic of the use of names in this in. Um, Slime sand, story and world. So, um... We... But we start this... We start this story in, like, a normal world... Where, um... I forget the main character's real name. Um... But Rimuru, the... The titular main character of this story... Starts as a normal human in... Current-day Japan. And he gets stabbed as he puts it, by a rando. He gets stabbed by a, like, by a, he gets assaulted, basically, and dies. And then he's reincarnated into, as a slime, like the basic monster, a slime, in this fantasy world. I forget what the fantasy world's called. It doesn't really matter. And he's reincarnated in this cave, where he hangs out in the cave for probably about a month and in that month he meets this dragon named valdora the storm dragon and in this world probably the most interesting mechanic they have is the name is the naming system is what i'm going to call it and the naming system is essentially nobody in nobody in this world has no monsters at least in this world are born with, are born and given names. When they're given a name, they like assume a different hierarchy and then they become like stronger and bigger and they like evolve essentially. So, Rimuru and Valdor- Valdora gives Rimuru a name, gives Rimuru his name, and Rimuru gives both of them their last name, which is Tempest. And that powers both of them up, but Rimuru is also, like, a thinking, talking, like, absorbing, ever-absorbing slime. And the joke to most of the characters is, like, a slime can't possibly do most of this shit. But that's, a, that's the most interesting part of it. And then you get to, like, the building of the goblin, just building of a goblin village... He names all the goblins, which causes them to like evolve, and then eventually you meet the kind of his kind of like primary crew and that's these ogres, and these ogres are um named he, and it he, he gives names to these ogres, so the thing you have to remember is like he's giving all of these giving every character who's in his like vicinity a name. So Benny Morrow is the name of the fur is is the name of the first ogre. Um she shion is the one you're probably the most familiar with, actually of most of the series. And she's like the hot secretary ogre with the giant sword I actually She's a really good character design and a pretty good, strong female character. So I did order a figure of her. She follows my rules. Um, I have rules about ordering figures, actually. Hilariously. To keep me from spending all my money. Then there's Sohei, who's like a ninja ogre guy when he evolves. And then there's Shuna. And Shuna is like a priest character. Um, there There is another one. I forget his name, but he becomes like a blacksmith. Um, but... The, so the first thing that like, I don't like about this show is that it, the goblins were one thing. The goblins, goblins are like humanoid-esque characters, but the ogres, and the ogres in certain ways are too, but often when they choose to evolve, when the show chooses to evolve the characters, it doesn't retain a whole lot of their monster-like qualities. They more often than not become more human-like. And... I understand why the show's doing that. It wants you to... I think the show's doing it for two reasons. It wants you to be able to identify with these characters. But then also down the line, when these characters start doing some real heinous shit, it wants you to have identified with these characters enough... To go along with that... With that heinous shit. And I'll get to that... Heinous shit in a second. And then they have... Uh, but there's one character... Who doesn't change all that much. And that's... Gabota. And Gabota is like... A fairly... Central side character... In the show. Like he has a lot of... you has a lot of speaking lines. He has a lot of... Presence and screen time. But... This show, it gives you all these characters, and it gives you characters that you're supposed to, like, be attached to, and it's not spending the amount of time with it. And, like I said, Shion is a tremendous character design. (laughs) Um, That's not true of all the characters, but by and large, the characters have really good designs, even in their, like, like, level one form. And I think, I think they're relying a lot on this show, on, on just like making cute, attractive character designs and like slotting in pretty standard anime personalities that you'd expect from each character design to make up for shortcomings in the characters that make you disattach from them. And I, I I realize, and I want to be really clear here. I realize I've seen a lot of anime. Like I, I've, I've seen. I uh, trust me. I've seen a lot of anime. I see it every. I see it every week. I see it at least every week when I open up. Um, I see the count at least every week when I open up. Um, my anime list, and I see it every time I add a show that I've finished to my anime list. Um, and I've, can I can just tell you, I've seen a lot. And I know that that informs my bias against that show because I am functioning with a wider variety of... um, What's the best word for it? Of archetypes that this show is working with. So when I look at, uh, when I look at Shizu, I see a little bit of nana osaki from nana i see a little bit of a bunch of tragic heroine characters in that archetype and here's where i'm gonna start comparing this show to log horizon because log horizon does a lot of what this show is doing and it doesn't even a lot of like the kind of stock standard isekai stuff especially stock standard trapped in a video game stuff this show does but it doesn't it doesn't suffer for it and that's because it spends the time a, it spends the time it gives the audience the time of day and it spends the time taking the audience through the plot and show and it does some one other thing really clearly in Slime Fan, everything that needs to happen, and this is partially because this show is working as a power fantasy first, and like a, and using its plot progression to help you with that power fantasy. Anything the characters need to figure out, anything that the characters need to do to progress, is like immediately handed to them. Feels pretty. Especially, especially Rimuru, our main character. So, to give you an idea. When they eventually wanted to put all the characters in jeopardy, what they needed to do, what they needed to, like, concoct a way to get Rimuru out of the country he runs and lock him out of it and then put the characters in jeopardy because you can't have... You can't have the big godchild character in the show, in there. And this would go off without a hitch. It wouldn't happen. And... The... The problem with this show becomes... When... They've kind of exhausted that power fantasy of be the strongest... You know, take on, take on everybody, be the strongest. Blah, blah 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 blah. And then the character needs to make a choice. Essentially, become a demon lord. Essentially, be to finally just be the strongest thing in this show. And instead of being it, needing to become a demon lord by atta- by obtaining by like getting the thing, by getting the RPG thing, because there is the other thing about the show. There is straight up. An RPG system master character in this world. And it's like a disembodied voice that talks at first only to Rimuru. And then also later to everyone who he's ever like named who's significant. But the thing is when he needs to go find that answer, the answer is already there. And they link it to, uh, the other thing about this show is that it constantly covers its ass in the right way. It, it links stuff to plot points. But it doesn't feel good when you're like, oh, what do I need to do to become a demon lord? And your, like, head computer said, oh, you've already obtained the demon lord seed. So, technically, all you need to do, and this is the horrible shit I was talking about. Is killed 10,000 people. And... At this point in the story, they've, like, built up a big evil army that's coming to kill this, like, nation of monsters. And it's 10,000 soldiers strong. And so Rimuru decides... Because he wants to revive all these people who were killed, including um Shion, who... They, like... I think... I think Shion, they do the most with Shion in order to endear you to her. And that's probably why she stands out in this series so much. Out of all the characters who you're supposed to care about in this show. And that's not to say that, like, I thought that she was going to be dead permanently. Because this show has such a gives its main character such plot armor that I knew it wasn't going to kill her at all or I knew if she was going to die it was going to be such a big terrifyingly like dunning thing that it was going to that it was going to have to matter and have to be undone which it was and the so he says okay I'll become a demon lord and I'm gonna kill these 10,000 people. To do it. And he shows up above this like camp of like this like army this like arm this like armed encampment and he doesn't even flinch, just stone cold fucking ices out these like thousands of people. Thousands of people. And it's just it's like instant and and that was when I encountered the second thing that I have a real problem with with this show, and the second thing I had a real problem with with this show actually came from watching Pocoroso, which if you go listen to Pokoroso, my episode about Pocoroso, which is the last episode in the um which is the episode in the feed before this one, you'll know that Pocoroso is. A very emotional movie and it, it takes care to not really judge its characters in ways that you would expect and it doesn't hold it doesn't hold for example it doesn't hold judgment against the male characters it presents them as they are and lets the audience do that part um Famously, and I'm, I, I promise this has a point. Famously, The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2 is an anime. And I I know some of you are screaming at your at your devices right now because this is, this is an old hat thing and others of you are like, what's he talking about? What does he mean? What I mean is, is that The Hunchback of Notre Dame was kind of, like the Disney movie, was kind of a debacle. And it was kind of a debacle because... It was based off of a French tragedy that was meant as a like tourism booster for the little church of Notre Dame, which is currently, I believe, being repaired from being very much on fire, um, just like it was in that in the play that was, uh, once again, tourism piece for the for the church. Um, but it was also, a, but it was a debacle because it was. What it essentially did was it said, hey, hey, all you kids who might be watching this, and this includes me at the time, who might be watching this and are disabled, you are not allowed to have a significant other. Like, you are not allowed to have love or, like, you are not allowed to be seen as attractive. You are not allowed to get the girl at the end. Even if you're the hero, you don't get the girl. And, like, because of that one fact, it has become this... Like notorious movie, in like circles of disability rights advocates and circles of like hot, super high functioning disabled people like me and just disabled the disabled community in the world. So when Disney and it and this was such a big backlash that even in the ni- in 1995 or in the late nineties when Disney was like king, they they felt that he. And so instead of Disney doing the sequel movie, which was I don't I don't think it was released in theater, but it was like a high-profile direct video release, *The Hunchback of Notre Dame* was done by by Disney Studios Japan, and functions essentially as a giant apology for the end of *The Hunchback of Notre Dame*, and it is this movie about Quasimodo like getting romantically involved with this girl <laughs> who yes is a fucking nut job I'm not kidding you can go watch the movie it's bizarre but like they the act of disney making that movie of disney Japan's of J- disney Japan studio making that movie showed so much more and them probably concepti- concepting it and like fleshing it out shows so much more understanding of what that movie did wrong than the American studio, the American Disney animation studio could probably have understood without someone breathing down their neck like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Quasimodo needs a romantic lead you don't understand we have so many fucking have so much hate mail it's all about this like it's just all about this it's not about you writing it's not about somebody writing piss in the water and <laughs> the little mermaid and their kid finding it anymore it's about this <laughs> we're pretty did you see what they did to washington in the 60s we don't want to be like that motherfucker. for um for reference, the single biggest and longest um, occupation of a government building ever is by a bunch of disabled people in, I think, the 70s. And they just, like, took a building. They just, like, took a building for, like, a month and a half. Gave no shits and took a building. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, my point there is, and then you look at something like a silent voice and you look at something like... Um, Josie the Tiger and the Fish, and you see this fundamental emotional core that Japanese animated properties generally share, and that's this sensitivity to like the world and difference, and like accept- and like a core acceptance that may not exist in reality in Japan, probably doesn't, almost definitely doesn't. You know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down kind of thing. But in the creative class, largely, is fully intact. I mean, if you look at um, a character like Lady Oboshi from Princess Mononoke. And she's the bad guy in that movie. She's, like, a bad guy in that movie. But she's not really the bad guy. She's not a bad guy, not really. The bad guy is the, like... Mechanism under which she's forced to operate that means, in order for her to, you know, feed, house, and employ almost like all these, all these, not just all these women, but all these people, and also feed, house, and employ like tons of disabled people in the form of the lepers that like make all of her guns. And, like, care for them and, like, deeply care for them. She has to, like, go and kill the spirit of the forest to bring it to the emperor. So she can get a mountain of gold to continue to run this town that she's built for all... For not just her, but, like, all the people that depend on her. And the... Her becoming disabled at the end of that movie shows this transformation of her from the, like, person playing within the system to a person who has Realized she has the ability to, like, look outside of this box that the world has placed her in and find a way to really still do it. Because those are the things she cares about at her core. She doesn't care about the head of the forest spirit She cares that that's a means to an end. And that emotional core is not... It's not... That kind of emotional core is kind of absent from this show. And, like, the reason I say that, and it goes back to Shizu, ultimately. Like, she... And I think the show says this to your face when you, um... When when you meet Leon for the first... When you meet Leon in person for, like, the second time when when Rimuru confronts Leon the thing Leon says was yeah I summoned her to this world her options were live with the fire spirit in her or die I gave her the fire spirit and I employed her and like had her helping to better the world for much of her life and when she do when she do was lot, when she do was alive, she didn't seem like she didn't seem like she was particularly resentful of Leon of Leon by the end. They show tons of clips of like Leon who's a very Hal's moving castle like figure. Who's a very Hal from Hal's moving castle like figure. Like, interacting with Shizu, explaining things to her. And, like, being very patient and not demanding a ton from her. And he just says it when Rimaru confronts him. Like, you can believe what you want, but I I did good by that girl. <laughs> like, she... she from, what, from everything I understand, she was a... When she showed up to me, she was already about to die. And I gave her the fire spirit to keep her alive to like to give her life again and it's almost like Rimuru doesn't care it's like he hasn't heard it and the other thing is like he has this Rimuru has taken this on himself Shizu never asked him to do this she never like She never, she told him what happened and he jumped from A to all the way to Z without stopping and wondering like, why did he do this? Why did he do that? Like all this stuff. And they set up the, like one of the last things they set up in season two of this show is the confrontation between Leon and, um, Rimuru. But the thing you have to understand and you have to remember is. And this is possibly true of most people at the table. At, at Like, at this, like... At the... At Walpurgis. The, like, Demon Lord meeting. The Demon Lord dinner party thing they all go to. Is... Everybody has done this... Is... Most of the people... At the, lots of the people at the table... Have done the thing... That Rimuru has done. And that is... Kill 10,000 people. Become a... To awaken as a true Demon Lord. And that includes... You know, fun loving characters like Malim. And Malim is like another, is another, um, what's the best word for it? Is it, is another demonstration of the tonal imbalance and of the lack of, emo- of emotional investments this show has. And that's because you see Malim everywhere. For this show. And that's because once again. She's a great character design. But she's not in it all that much. And when she is. It's not really that affecting. And they don't hold that character design. For the entire time. Like her character design shifts. Into something totally different. That is also a good design. But isn't like. As effective as the design. That you start with. And it's just. I look at this show, I, watching this show, I felt kind of, not certainly not as bad. Um, I felt kind of the same way I felt when I was watching Akamika Kill. In that, I was like, this is what people are, like, jazzed for? This is what, pe- this is what does it for people? Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not going full Cosplay Fiend or Folk Taylor and being like, the fuck's with the sweater vest? But, like not the show did not emotionally resonate the way a show does the way one of these shows can and it also doesn't I think my biggest problem with this show is that it doesn't it presents these things as if they say a problem to be solved and then immediately presents the solution or like when They'll try to do something that's similar to something that you would see in something like Log Horizon. Like, they'll try to sow... Disc- like, there's this scene where a bunch of antagonist characters are trying to sow discord in the city. In, in, um, in, the, in the, like, town that, that Rimuru had built up. And essentially the city that Rimuru had built up. And... it starts to work and then it's immediately disposed of and it's like not the thing about power struggle stories it's like and i think this this is the thing that this is the lesson that slime sand learned wrongly from soil online and the thing Sword On online does so bad that it makes pe- it makes people crazy and the thing and also the thing that now shield hero is doing so bad that it like keeps turning people off and that is that it's not giving you a struggle it's giving you problems that you can cheer for the main character for as they're solving them but they're not hard problems They're not big, terrifying mysteries. Whereas something like... Log Horizon... ...takes all of the systems it's playing with... ...takes all of the rules of the world... ...takes rules of the world that were applied... ...at the beginning of the show... ...when they were all trapped in the game to begin with... ...and adds things one at a time... And creates this big mystery that needs to be solved. And the best part about it is. Is you're not. You don't know what the solution is. You can guess. Or you can know if you've read ahead in the source material. I don't know what the source material for Log Horizon is. I suspect it's a light novel. Um. But it you, you don't know if you haven't read ahead. But you can guess. And you're. At no point does your, does your, um, audio does, do, does the main character, does, um, what's his face? Um, the main character of, um, the the, the main character of, of, um, Log Horizon know. He, uh, Sh- Shiro doesn't know either. And so, you're figuring... You're seeing all the puzzle pieces go together at the same time he is. And sometimes he's even putting them together for you. Not entirely, but giving you... But, like, showing you what the pieces are, even. And... This is like... The jigsaw puzzle has been solved a week ago... And Rimuru is bored, so he smashes it into a million pieces... On his way to get another puzzle... That he already knows how to solve. And it's just not... It's not fun. After a while, it's not fun. And it's like... The battles aren't even really that fun because... There's no stakes to them. And they're not particularly... It, they have a kind of... Dragon Ball Z dryness to them. <laughs> in a real way. And once you add on this, like, lack of, like... The, not just this lack of emotional coreness that I talked about, but this, like, this glee for violence that feels, and maybe this is why it's so popular, that feels very American. Like, Rimuru does not seem regretful about. A, he doesn't seem regretful about killing these 10,000 soldiers. B, he does it in, like, the most cold nightmarishly terrifying way possible. Like, all of a sudden, it's raining tiny droplets through people's brains one at a time, and, like, people are, like, talking to their friend and see the life drain from their eyes, and they're freaking the fuck out. It's not like he snapped his finger, and the entirety of the... of this military platoon, of this military outfit just vanishes. It's like they all see each other die one at a time. In like a horrifying nightmare scenario. And what they don't do with these characters is they, like... One of the most interesting things about Attack on Titan is that they took the main character of that show... And they made him into the bad guy. And like, and, and what that does in that show is it says, no, this is the fucking line... Like the No, like the, he like travels back over to the good side eventually, but not really. But like, they at least present a concept of like, this is the fucking line. This is, this is, this is, the, line, and you crossed it, buddy. It's, actually, the line was like, a hundred feet back in the opposite direction. You crossed it a while ago. You're the problem. Congratulations. And this show just isn't willing to do that. It's not willing to shift the perspective out of this power fantasy into a, like, what does this look like when, like, one of these Imperial soldiers' family, like, Families realize that like dad's not coming home. What did like what did that look like? What did that play out as? And I have no confidence that the show will ever do that, since it this this, this show doesn't seem. I know it isn't fair to compare this to season four of Attack on Titan, because Attack on Titan has more time and is doing more interesting things with it. And saying more about violence and the nature of violence as a whole than Slime San would ever hope to, but Slime San would never start you on a next episode, at least from what I've seen, with a character that's totally unrelated. Like when you when you start. Season four of Um Attack on Titan, you've are dropped media red into a whole different thing. You're dropped in to like a Nazi used platoon who led by just the shittiest little girl who eventually grows up to realize that she'd been like ...coerced and brainwashed into believing that she's better because she's a normal white lady. And, like, she shouldn't be so gleefully, like, b- because she's... No, actually, not because she's a normal white lady. Because she's one of the good ones. And, like, she become She realizes that even among the good ones, she was the only one who believed in it. Who believed in this nonsense anyway. And it. It's so. It so becomes this. Weird night. It's like. In that way, it so becomes a different thing. And it gives you a totally different perspective on the show. And you stay with these kids for a while. Like. When you encounter Aaron, you're like, holy shit, we're still in the same show? What's happening? <laughs> and this show doesn't... has no interest in giving you that kind of out, outside perspective to these characters who have now become, like, the strongest things in, the, in any room they're in. And that's the problem. It's like, that strength without perspective isn't very isn't very good it isn't very entertaining now I know some of you now if some of you are thinking well Alex what about like the um event the, the recent events in the One Piece manga the events in the One Piece manga are a Ichiro Oda has he has a plan in his head you know it cause he told it to a Make-A-Wish kid and then the kid died cause that man I'm sure that man checked like this kid's gonna die right yep okay at the end of One Piece Um, but the, the, like, thing in that show is, the thing in that, in that case is amplifying a, a aspect of that character that has always existed, that has just always been there. The thing in this case is that it's a. In the case of Slime Sand, they're presenting this power fantasy that you were. They're presenting this power fantasy in this story that at no point are you given a whole lot to latch onto. I actually have the same problem with Tanya the Evil, although. The thing with Tanya the Evil is it's about Nazis, so that's what the conversation becomes about, rightfully so. Um, But, like, you don't spend enough time with the main character before he dies. You don't spend enough time... You don't spend enough time seeing the main character or any of the side, or the significant side characters, struggle in a real way. And when you have these big nightmare doom and gloom, like, boss characters like Diablo, or like Noir, his uh, his other more true name, whatever you want to call it, they don't seem to add up to much. They don't seem to matter. Like, Noir's goal is not to, like, take over the world or anything, as far as you can tell. It's just to serve. And, like... You know it's not there a there are better shows, but b it's not it's not compelling, and it doesn't it's the, the lack of like time given to stuff to give it real emotional rev- resonance affects you for the entire show, and also they like do things they do things in the show that they immediately undo like when they're saying like Malik... like. Malim, a character you're supposed to care about, but who forces herself on the main character, and the main character's like, oh, I guess we're friends now. Um. And then he, ca- and then he like, cares to death when he shows... When, like, he finds out she's being mind-controlled. And it turns out that she wasn't mind-controlled, but didn't tell anybody that she wasn't mind-controlled. And just, like snaps out of it in the middle and is like no fuck you it's like they're not they're not doing the work for this kind of stuff they're not setting anything up they're not paying anything off properly and it shows and i like i went into this being like oh people really love this people say this is a good one of these I guess that's why I've been, like, trashing it for an hour, because it, I'm more than a little disappointed, because it, it's, like, even, I think, slightly worse than standard shown fair. Don't get me wrong, it's not, like, slightly pro-slavery, like, fucking Shield Hero. But it's not... It's not playing with the form enough. It's not... And I'll, I'll tell you the real first, like, my real first thing. When I realized that they were, that part of the reason why Shizu dies is so you can give, um, Rimuru a, a human body. So you can put, you can take this little slime who, this, like, slime character. Which is a big old, like, water blob. Like a, like a plush. And give him a human body that you can, like, imprint on i was just like really we can't just have monsters we can't just like have the main character be a tiger be be like a sentient tiger and then they do that with valdora once valdora becomes a uh part of the a part of the cast proper by the second season and you're like Why does he have to have a human body? Like, why can't he just have a dragon friend? That seems so much more fun and interesting. And I... If you're gonna play with the form, play with the form. The thing I will give Shield Hero is that show starts off in a really interesting place. And then once it removes that... Once it removes that weight from its main character's shoulders, it just... ...backslides into another one. I feel like this one... ...as soon as they get out of... ...Rimaru being a blob thing, ...they backslide into another one. Really quickly. And a little bit even before that... ...but until that point... ...your main character is like a little blobby ...and like you're being asked to like... ...identify with this little squishy boy. And it... ...and then they... Give him, like, a human body, and they give him a human body that's, like, defined as sexless, but, like, very pretty boy-esque. And it's just, it all, it all, like, it all, like, kind of sucks more than a little. So, on that note, if you liked this episode, um, definitely check out new episodes of the podcast every Thursday and every other Sunday, which means next Sunday will be a new Sunday edition. Thursdays dates are like this. They're conversations about shows or movies or properties, generally animated or anime or anime related. Sunday is more metatextual. Um, but on that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday. 失うことになれた